Well, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Brian Chaney. I'm the campus pastor at our West Cary, soon to be Morrisville campus. We're going to be opening that campus up uh, soon in Perimeter Park, and hopefully at the beginning of April, we'll be ready for Easter. Now, Mike's not here this weekend. He's suffering for Jesus down in Disney World with Mickey Mouse, so if y'all could be praying for him, he's getting some well-deserved time off before he gets ready for the busy Easter season. And when he came to me a couple weeks ago, he was like, I need you to speak. I said, okay, what do you want me to talk about? He said, well, can you talk about wisdom? Sure, I'm 35. I've got it all figured out. Let's go with that. So thanks, Mike. So like Jason said, we're in week nine of our 10-week series, and so we're going to be in the book of James. Uh, We're going to pick that up in a little bit. Several years ago, my wife uh, stopped teaching at Wake County Public Schools. um, We were making too much money, and so we just decided that... (laughs) You know, we couldn't give it all away fast enough, and it was really causing a lot of conflict in our hearts. So she stopped doing that, and she started staying home with our kids, and she started watching a a little boy about the age of my oldest son, Noah. They were about four or five at the time, and I took him one Friday to Monkey Joe's to get him out of the house, give her a break, and to get some energy out of them. And uh, it was a cooler day, and my son had a long sleeve shirt, and this little boy, who will remain nameless for you'll see in a minute, but um, he had his jacket, and I said, hey, you want me to help you put your jacket on? To which he replied, no, I got it. Like a real sassy tone, like that's a standard feature on little boys at four years old, right? And um, so I said, okay. So I walked out the door, and he's kind of struggling with his jacket. And so I asked him again, hey, you sure you don't want help with your jacket? And at this point, uh, he was like, no, he had the jacket on, but he couldn't get the zipper. And here's why. So there he is on the left, and... <laughs> He had put the jacket on upside down, and so I told him, being the compassionate person that I am, I said, hey, bro, your jacket's on upside down, man. Are you sure you don't want me to help you? To which he replied, no, it isn't. (laughs) Game on, bro. So I let him uh, get in the car, and I buckled him in with his jacket upside down, and we drove all the way to Monkey Joe's with his jacket on upside down and walked inside with him looking like a fool as we got into Monkey Joe's. And I'll never forget looking in the rearview mirror and seeing that perfect picture of stubbornness in the rear mirror, he looked like Count from Sesame Street back there, you know, and just, I know, I don't, it's not upside down. All right. And that's like us. We're talking about this, this idea of wisdom this weekend about how we know what we should do. And even when somebody comes along beside us and says, hey, you, you should probably do this or do something different, we go, ah, I got it. We got this thing figured out. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of James. Shocker. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it on the side screens, the verses. Uh, you can also download the Get Hope app. We have a Bible in there. Now, James was written by Jesus' brother, well, his half-brother, right, because they same mom, different dads. Some of you will get that later. Um, but we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 13 of James, and he starts by lobbing this rhetorical question at us. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? So first we have to define, well, what is wisdom? What is he talking about here, godly wisdom? And for the purpose of this weekend, we're going to f- define wisdom as this. Wisdom is intentionally applying God's truth to every situation we face. Wisdom is intentionally applying God's truth to every situation that we face. And here's the problem. A lot of times we confuse knowledge with wisdom. See, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing don't put a tomato in a fruit salad, right? And we get those things confused. A lot of us have a PhD in knowledge, but we're flunking when it comes to wisdom, See, knowledge gives us all the facts and figures, all the information that we need, but wisdom is the application of those things. And, and maybe many of you went to the Love and Respect series uh, seminar that we had over Saturday night and Friday morning, and you learned all this great information about healthy marriages and how you can interact with your spouse in a way that's healthy and, and really life-giving. But all that information, unless we apply it, doesn't do us 
any good. It, you have to apply it. You have to live it out. That's why one of the marks here at Hope Community Church is live what you learn. It's great that we come in and pack the, the seats in here and hear all this great teaching from Mike. But if we don't do anything with it, we're not living this wise life that James is talking about. So he answers the rhetorical question at the end of 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done. Is somebody allergic to me? Like, there's a lot of sneezing going on today. Like, I don't think I smell or anything. I'm ADD, so good luck. You think Mike's bad. Um, So he says, the two marks of a wise person are good behavior and deeds done in humility. Now, this word behavior is used 13 times in the New Testament, and it's used to describe um, somebody who turns or returns back to something. So change is at the underlying uh, core of it. And the, the second part of this, this deeds done in humility, some of you might have a translation that has the word gentleness, which, you know, gentleness is not an ideal that we shoot for. We think it's meekness or people are going to walk all over you if you're gentle. Where gentleness here is this idea of a racehorse that's brought under control. So all the power and all the ability of the racehorse is not gone. It's just under control. So deeds done in humility is defined as under control. And so this is one of the areas that we mess it up so often as Christians, where I get it wrong and you get it wrong, is because we get into a setting like this, or we start reading our Bible, and we start building up biblical knowledge, and instead of it impacting us, what do we start doing with it? We start beating people over the head with it, right? We start attacking our neighbors, we start getting on Facebook and telling everybody what they should and shouldn't be doing and all this stuff, and if, if any of you, do you remember that show Romper Room? Anybody? I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but the show Romper Room is terrible, right? Just, if you want to watch it, it's just a terrible show. But it ended with this, the host would hold up a, um, a little hoop that she called the magic mirror. And she would look through it and she would go, I see Johnny and I see Billy and I see Susie. And that's how we treat the Bible, right? We go, I see Johnny sinning and I see Susie over there coveting and I see Billy not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that's not what the Bible is intended for. See, it's not a lens for us to judge the world. It's not a lens with which to view everything and go, gosh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. It's actually a mirror for us to look at ourselves and make changes in our own lives. That's what we should be doing with it. And that's where we get it wrong. See, we, it's the, the wisdom piece, the application. The application of the Bible is not beating everybody up. The application is our changed life. So James continues on in verse 13. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now, it'd be great if we could just ask God for this application. God, give us the wisdom and give us the ability to do the application to do it. And it just happened, right? We don't have to do it, put any work into it, but it's not that easy. And, and what happens is a lot of times we'll take godly wisdom and we'll start mixing worldly wisdom with, with it, right? So we'll take a little bit of uh, what we think Dr. Laura is saying or Dr. Oz or Oprah or Justin Bieber or whoever is saying stuff to us, and we take that and we try to mix it in with what God has told us or what God we know that we should do according to God's word, and that's where we get in trouble because when we do that, it's a lot like rat poisoning, right? Rat poisoning is 99% good for the rats. Food, they can eat it, you know, all that stuff. It's that 1% arsenic that trips that joker up every single time. And in the same way, when we take godly wisdom and we mix it in with worldly wisdom, we have this destructive consequence. So James is saying, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't take worldly wisdom and mix it in. Understand where true wisdom comes from. So what are the signs of somebody who adheres to worldly wisdom? Well, he gives us some in verse 14. He says, but if you harbor 
bitter envy. Now, the word bitter here means brackish water, so water that you can't drink. And he's telling us that the, the bitterness comes from envy, which we all know what envy is. Envy is coveting or uh, desiring what somebody else has, either the bank account or house, spouse, car, boat, whatever it is, and taking that, and that causes bitterness, either within us or in people around us. And he says, but if you harbor this bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, now selfish ambition describes a politician who's in it for themselves, in it for their own personal gains. Can you imagine what it must have been like in James's time to have people like that running around? I mean, thank goodness we don't have anybody who's in it for themselves, especially politicians, right? Woo, I'm glad we have avoided that. But imagine what it must have been like, right? It's the picture of somebody who will do anything that they can to get ahead, to put themselves Number one, to raise their own banner. And check out how it progresses. He says, but if you harbor this bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Now, I don't know about you, but you show me somebody who's living this life of worldly wisdom who has this bitter envy and selfish ambition, and I probably can show you somebody who is exaggerating about what they can and can't do, right? They will tell you, oh, I am so great at this, or they overestimate what they can do, or they can brag about their deeds, And so James is telling us, don't live like that. He warns us in verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Tell me what you really think, James, right? And in verse 16, he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Now, the word disorder means antagonism, all all the bad stuff. And Every evil practice is all the petty stuff that we see in today's day and age, right? Assault and terror and envy and jealousy and all the things that wreck our world come from this place of worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom always leads to chaos and destruction. Now, if you've enjoyed this series like I have, and it's it's so practical, James is such a great book of the Bible. There's actually, uh, James is considered the Proverbs of the New Testament. So there's actually a book in the Old Testament, Proverbs, that was written by King Solomon, who's considered the wisest man to ever live. And he has some stuff to talk about with wisdom. So we're going to look at Proverbs 14, 12. He says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And that happens to us all the time, doesn't it? There's a way, there's a free way that feels like that's the way we should go. Either my friend's telling me, or I'm reading this, or I just feel like this is the way I should go to get ahead. But it leads to destruction. Solomon's warning us, stay away from that. It's going to be chaotic. In 12 chapters later, he says in chapter 26, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. And we see this all the time. We see believers that they get tripped up by, they'll live 90, 90%, 99% for what God wants them to do. But they have this one little area of their life, this pet sin. Maybe it's their money, maybe it's their relationships, whatever it is, that they're going to do it their own way, and they've allowed Satan to get a foothold. And they're like, surely that's not going to mess me up. Surely that's not going to cause problems. And what's interesting, we just talked about Solomon being the wisest man uh, who ever lived, but he had one of these uh, free falls. He took a 40-year dive into the abyss of rebellion because he decided to go his own way. And it started for him because he had an affinity for women. And so It started with a little pagan woman over here, which led to a little pagan worship over here. And before you knew it, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now that is a honey-do list, right? I mean, that's crazy to live that way. And how did it start? It was a slow 
progression, he allowed Satan to have this little tiny foothold and slowly it consumed him. Don't let that be you. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. So that's the bad news, right? So what's the good news? The good news we can find in James 3.17. And so we're going to spend, uh, we're going to go word by word in this verse because it really describes what living this life of wisdom looks like. And so I want you guys to be able to walk out of here and go, I know that verse and I can understand it and I can apply it. So it says, verse 17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So let's take them one at a time. Well, what does it mean to be pure? Well, pure, it means to be clean. Now, we learned at the beginning of this series that the Bible is described by James as the mirror. It's a mirror for us to look at ourselves. And I'm sure most of you this morning, when you got ready, you looked in a mirror and then shaved and put makeup, what, makeup on or got dressed or whatever it was. I doubt that you took the mirror off of the wall and then said, I got this thing figured out and kind of went about your own way. If you did, I would not suggest that. But what we see is that the mirror of the Bible allows us to look at ourselves. And a lot of times this is what prevents us from looking in it, isn't it? Because what do we see when we look into the mirror of God's word? We see that we are dirty, that we need a shower. We are unclean compared to a perfect holy God and a perfect holy Christ. And the problem with that is that there is nothing that we can do to get clean. You can't clean yourself I can't clean myself. The only way that we can get clean is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross allows us to get clean. And the sacrifice that he made covers up everything that you have ever done. No matter where you are today, no matter what you have ever done, there is nothing bigger than the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing that you are in today. I don't care what you did the second before you walked in the doors here. There is nothing that the price that Jesus paid does not cover up. And there's nothing that you will ever do that will separate you from the love of God when we receive that gift that Jesus gave us. That's how powerful it is, and that's what we need. We need that purity. You can't make yourself clean. I can't make myself clean. It's got to be a God thing. When I think of peace-loving and considerate, I think of the cross, because I think of when we have that relationship, the vertical aspect, our relationship with God, when we get to that place when we've accepted what Christ has done, then we can be peace-loving and considerate to the people around us. We can't do that without that relationship with God. You can do it for a little bit, you can do it in spurts, but you know if you've ever tried, I'm just gonna be really considered, I'm gonna be peace that will last all two seconds, right? It takes this power that comes from above that God going, no, 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 you can do this and that relationship with him is what gives you the ability to live in that horizontal with your fellow man, with the people around you. How about the word submissive? Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter. And for us here in, in the church, Easter is like the Super Bowl, right? It's the biggest deal that we have. And, and we're going to celebrate a resurrection. But the truth is we can't have a resurrection. We can't celebrate a resurrection unless there's a death. And we can't have a death unless we have a submissive son of God. Because the truth is there is nothing that we could do to force the son of God to die on the cross. He had to willingly walk that path. He could have at any point stopped it and gone back to heaven. He could have. It took his submission 
to walk that path. And he, even in the garden, he said, God, if there's any other way, but your way be done, right? And he, so he went and he followed this perfect path. And so we get this perfect image of submission. That's what it means to be submissive. It's us going, God, you're God, and I'm not. I want you to take control of my life. And whatever you ask me to do, no matter how painful it is, no matter how hard it is, God, I know that you have a better plan than what I can do, and I'm going to trust you. That's being submissive. What does it mean to be full of mercy? Well, when we're full of something, it means that we're controlled by it. It defines who we are. And so when we have this relationship with God, when we've been reconciled to him, and when we're um, filled with peace and consideration, and we have this mercy that we have received from him, the mercy that he shows us, when we have that, then we're full of mercy, and we can give it to other people. So that's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. We, we used to describe it in the book of Galatians of having the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. All those come from this place of being full of mercy. The word impartial means unwavering, unchanging. Sincere means to live a hypocrite-free life. And so hypocrite, for many of us, means we're wearing a mask, right? We'll say, oh, I'm a Christian, and I, you know, I love church, and I'm coming in, and I love Jesus, and I'm going to worship, and Jesus, you're the best. And the second we walk out the doors... We live a life that is anything but Christ-like. It means the exact opposite of this, right? We're, that's not living sincerely. Um, it means honestly, living honestly, living a life of one of my favorite words, integrity. Integrity, we get, we get the same word integer from the same root, and it means, you know, a wholeness. There's, it's not I'm giving a fraction of myself over here and a fraction of myself over here. I'm not one person over here, one person. I'm the same person all the time, even when it's hard to make the right decision, I'm going to live this life of sincerity, this life of integrity. Now, he starts verse 18 with this word peacemaker, and he says, now, um, now peacemaker, what does that mean? What is the word peacemaker? We, we don't use it a whole lot, but peacemaker is really someone who is willing to say the truth in love. That's the key words there, in love, because there's lots of you that are willing to go around and say the truth. I've been known for that. I'll go around, I'll tell somebody exactly what I think, right? Not, a lot of times it's not in love, but we are called to have it in love. One of the, um, my friends from the, my time at the Y, Judy Bright, used to say this. She said, conflict is good when growth is the goal. And she would always unpack that by going, if you really truly care about somebody, you're going to have the hard conversation with them because you actually love them and you care about the relationship that the two of you had. And I thought that was such a great, great example because it's true. The people that we don't have the hard conversation with, I would argue that we really don't care about them. Because if we did, we would do everything that we can to have peace between the two of us. And so we're going to have the hard conversation, always in love, always in grace. We're going to have that conversation. And that's the opposite of being a peacekeeper, right? A peacekeeper says, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause any stirs. And so it's about control. I want everything to be exactly like I want, so I'm going to leave everything up to, you know, I'm just going to keep it at status quo. That's control. That's not being a peacemaker. We have to get to the place when we go, God, I want your wisdom, and I'm willing to do whatever it is. I'm willing to have whatever conversation I can, I'm supposed to have in order that I can live this wise life. I don't want to turn to other sources of wisdom. God, I don't want to turn to Judge Judy or, you know, Oprah, whoever it is. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you alone. So that brings us to our point of application for today. How do we put feet beneath our faith. Well, we're going to make it real easy. We're going to do it with PB&J, right? Everybody loves PB&J. Even if you're on a diet, you love PB&J. 
Um, it, it's funny, last, last week we went and tried out um, Bad Daddy's Burger Bar. Anybody been there? That place is awesome. You need to go. But um, we're sitting there with my family, and right before the meal comes, you know, you get a burger, and I got like tater tots and kind of all this, all this food, and we go to pray, and what do we pray? You've been there. You go, God, bless this food to the nourishment, right, of my body as I'm sitting over this greasy burger and these tater tots, right? And what's funny about that is it's probably more of a miracle to do that than like feed the 5,000 to, to make this thing nourishing for my body. But we need to get to a place as, as Christians really that probably my prayer should have been before I ordered, God help me order something that's going to actually nourish my body. That would probably be a, a wiser way to do it, but um, that's just a side note. I have ADD. So uh, PB&J, right? PB&J is a classic. And so we're gonna, it's going to help us remember. P stands for prayer. If you want godly wisdom, it begins with prayer. James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. What my prayer should be is this. God, I want your wisdom more than anything else in my life. I want your wisdom about my marriage, about my finances, about my employment, about where I live, about my relationships, about every aspect of my life, God. And I'm going to do everything I can to follow. Now, some of us, we mess up so much, myself included, in this prayer life. We'll, we'll say things like, you know, God, I'm just, I'm just going to keep praying that, um, you know, I don't know if I should marry this guy who's not a Christian. Here's the deal. Stop doing that. That's dumb, right? Like, God has already said, if you're, not, if you're a believer, don't marry somebody who's not a believer. He's already written that down. Don't, don't waste your, his time with that. And you go, oh, okay, well, then I'm just going to keep praying about whether we should continue to have sex. No, stop doing that. That's a dumb prayer. I love you, but it's a dumb prayer, right? And, and we, we like spend time praying with God about stuff that he's already talked about. Here's something, I don't know if this is a secret to you guys, but God's not gonna change his mind about what's in the Bible, right? I know that like in this iPhone, iPad era that we're like, I'm just waiting for like Bible 5C to come out and like, you know, it's gonna be a little different. Like it's 2,000 years ago, that's kind of old school. It's not gonna change. Bible 2.0 is not coming out. So we have to go, okay, God, if you've already spoken about it, then that's it. He's immutable. God is immutable. It means he's not gonna change. He's the same forever as he will ever be. So stop praying for dumb stuff. You're welcome. Mike, you're gonna, can't wait for Mike to get back, right? <laughs> he told us to stop praying for dumb stuff. That's what I said. <clears throat> it says, so if any of you lacks wisdom, we should ask God who gives it generously. So we need to ask him, God, give me the wisdom, give me the strength to apply this stuff, and then it's on us. We have to put the feet to our faith. I love Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, the, the word fear is not scared or freaked out. It means reverence. And so for us, you know how this works. If you're driving and you, you go over a hill and all of a sudden you see a police officer's car, what do you do, right? You slow down, buckle up, put your beer down, do whatever you, you know, whatever it is you have to do. Um, that's for Holly Springs people. But, um, <laughs> sorry. I love them. Um, but we have this reverence, right? And what happens is that police car represents authority, well, in our life, we, we behave exact opposite when it comes to God. We, we'll go over a hill, we see God, and we're like, eh, who cares? And the difference is, God's not going to pull you over. God's not going to stop you. God's not going to you know, write you a ticket. He's going to warn you. He's given you the Bible to say, hey, don't do that. It's probably going to lead to bad stuff. But we can get in a wreck, and then we're going to stand at that wreck and go, gosh, I wish I would have acted differently. That prayer life needs to be centered around this idea of reverence, going, God, you are God. You created me. You have a plan for me and a purpose for me, for me to prosper 
God, and I need to trust that you are in control. So that's the P. What's the B? The B is the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 through 6 says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, get this, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So our wisdom comes out of the knowledge that God has given us in the Bible. And what's interesting about this, I don't know if you caught it at the end of this verse, is that when we live this way, when we live a life of wisdom, when we're actually applying what God is teaching us in his word, people will notice. It's designed that way, that we don't have to start beating people over the head. They're going to go, gosh, there is change there. There's a difference there, and I want that. It says, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, I could pull every one of you in this auditorium today, and I could say, what are the two words that come to mind when it comes to the word Christian? And I almost to a person would guarantee you that wise and understanding are not the words that would come to your mind, right? It's probably judgmental, closed-minded, right, aggressive. Whatever it is that we have a reputation being, it's not this. It's not wise and understanding. So we have an opportunity here to really change our lives and in turn impact the people around us that are far from God. Now, Jay, what do you think the J is? Well, it's church people, so it's Jesus, right? So you know, my wisdom alone is pretty pathetic, but so is yours, so it's all good. We're in the same boat. Jesus is the key in this. And so uh, Paul writes to the church in Colossus. He says in Colossians 2, verse 2 through 3, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some, not a little bit. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So that relationship with Christ is the key to unlocking this ability to apply our faith and apply this wisdom. So it's a PB&J thing, prayer, Bible, and Jesus. So the question for you this weekend is this. Who or what am I allowing to guide my steps in life? And then the most important question, is that who or what I want to be guiding my life? That's your choice, right? There's something that's guiding your steps. There's something that's guiding your actions. Is that who or what you want to be guiding your actions? And so you get an opportunity to change. You can ask the question, God, what do you want from me? And make the bold statement, I will do whatever it is that you are calling me to do. God tells us to put our feet to our faith, live out this life of wisdom. That is how we unlock this best life, this life of fullness that he promised us is by trusting him and living this life of wisdom. So we just need to go home, look in the mirror, make some changes. Don't walk around with your jacket up around your you know, neck like Count from Sesame Street and go eat a PB&J, right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your word that guides us, Father. God, we know this is hard. Lord, I know that there are so many opportunities where I fall so short of what you have called me to do as a father, as a husband, as a child of yours, God. And so, God, I just pray for the strength 
for everybody in this auditorium, myself included, to hear the high calling you have for us and to live it out. God, to apply what it is that you are stirring in our hearts, the areas of our life that you know we're trying to do it on our own, God, that we are falling short. God, you know what those are, and I just pray that you would help us to make the bold decision to follow you. God, we love you. We thank you for everything that you have blessed us with. We are a blessed people, Father. We pray all these things in your son's perfect name. Amen.